Good morning, Fairhill Church. Uh, it's good to be with you. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Good. All right. So, uh, of course, I wish I were with you under different circumstances, uh, but nonetheless, uh, I'm so excited to be worshiping the resurrection of Jesus Christ with you this morning. Uh, this is a day that um, that is our salvation, and so it's a great joy to be with you. Uh, and that's where, as, as we think about this kind of day, we can think, oh, it's, our, our Easter is ruined, or we can think, you know what, actually, this is the reality that Easter was all about. And that's where, as we think about Easter, we have to realize that uh, it only makes sense as we have to wrestle with the reality of death and suffering. Now, I think of, I think of Remy, uh, my, my three-year-old, and he is, for the first time, really getting what Jesus was trying to do in his death and resurrection because uh, the, that key of the reality of death is starting to kind of set in. Now, we didn't, uh, we didn't introduce him to the topic of death. It, uh, it literally crawled in through the window. Uh, we have a ladybug situation at our house. Uh, it's not an infestation, it's a situation. So uh, not to be worried, there's like a couple ladybugs. Of all the bugs to be in your house, like, they're arguably the cutest. Uh, but they're not that hardy. And so sometimes you find them that they're not moving anymore. And we've had to discuss that. Uh, remember, those ones, those ones are dead. Now that was then uh, kind of uh, built on with the reality of, of finding a, a roadkill snake in the street on our quarantine walk. And uh, lots of questions ensued. Uh, why, why did it die? Is it dead? Why isn't it moving? Um, Mommy, why, why didn't its mommy teach him not to cross the street? All those questions. But the, the reality is uh, that he, he's finally understanding. All right, there is this thing called death. And you don't come back from it. That the ladybugs aren't going to wake up again. That that snake wasn't going to crawl off. And that it, it's that reality of death that has to be there to understand the beauty of the resurrection, the beauty of Easter, the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done. And oftentimes, we kind of push that off. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to look at it. And it keeps us from really addressing the real issue that Jesus Christ came to, came to fight and came to, to be victorious over. Now, that's where, as I talk to you through a camera in your living rooms, the reality is that there is danger out there and that death is more of a reality now than it was maybe two or three weeks ago. And that actually gives more power to Easter. It shows us what Jesus Christ has done. It proves to us that he wasn't just giving us this unwelcome gift, but he was giving us the, the deepest things that we need most desperately. The love that he was portraying in his death and in his resurrection. And so today my hope is that, uh, that the reality of Easter is more precious to you now than it may have been. We're going to talk about the, the effects of the resurrection and, and how it shapes about uh, our, our view of, of death and the kingdom of God. We talked about that kingdom being brought to us last week, 
how it's a, a spiritual kingdom that then becomes physical. And today we're, we're looking at it, that kingdom and how we gain entrance into it. How we prepare ourselves for an eternal, everlasting kingdom on the other side of death. And so we're going to look at, uh, at Jesus' kingdom. We're going to look at Jesus' victory. And finally, we're going to look at Jesus' work. And bringing all those things together, we're going to see that because of the resurrection, we have victory in Jesus Christ, not defeat under death and sin and the law. No, victory wins the day. And with that in mind, let's turn to 1 Corinthians verse 15. We're going to read verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body shall put on the imperishable And the mortal body shall put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get to celebrate this Easter day, that it is the reality of our world and our our salvation, that you came, you sent your son, you, you died on the cross, you rose to new life, and you gave us the victory over death and sin and the law. Father, I ask that this might be a day that we truly rejoice and worship you. Father, we delight in all that you are, in all that you've done. Father, would you give glory to Jesus Christ on this day for all the glory that it deserves, for all that he's done uh, to save sinners and present them to you in glory and splendor. Father, to do what we could not do ourselves. We praise you, and we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we start by looking at uh, the realities of the kingdom of God. That's where this passage starts, and we recognize that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he established this kingdom of God that he was inaugurated to, to the throne. And this kingdom he teaches us it's going to be unshakable. It is unshakable. It is unchangeable. It's eternal. It's a kingdom where God is praised for all eternity, for all that he is forever and ever. And as we look at our lives, I think we, we identify with an eternal and forever and unchangeable kingdom. Because as we look at our lives, we, we realize things should not be the way that they are. That our bodies shouldn't break down the way that they do. That the ones that we love should not be torn away from us. That 
The work that we do should not crumble and be in vain. That we long for things that, that we can't imagine, but we know that they are the way things ought to be. And as you look out into the brokenness of the kingdoms of the world, I ask you, are you discontent? Now, contentment is a, is a beautiful gift, but that contentment is not found in the kingdoms of the world. And if we want to be discontent we should, we, with the kingdoms of the world, we should feel that because we long for things that, that go far, far beyond the promises that any of these kingdoms can make. We long for things that are unchangeable, that are eternal, that are lasting. And instead of trying to squeeze one more drop of contentment and pleasure out of these kingdoms of the world, Jesus Christ comes and speaks of the abundance of the kingdom of God. Now he speaks of the, the simple things, that the moth and rust will not destroy, that the thief will not come and steal. And we look at the, the deeper and more emotional things, that the, every tear will be wiped away. And every sorrow will come to naught. That everything will be restored. And this is not a, a kingdom of, of miserly kind of control. It's, it's pouring out rivers of life that are abundantly pouring out life upon its people. And all that time, what do we, we the kingdom basks in the glory of God and Jesus Christ who sit on the throne, there is no need for light because they shine. There is no need for gates because there is no darkness to keep out. There is no evil to keep out. We can come and go and enjoy our Lord forever. Now I hope as, as, as I speak about those things that in the same way that I do, you feel that that, that feels right in your heart. That that is the reality that you long for, that maybe even that's, that's the, the thing that you long for, but didn't know that you longed for. And can say that maybe, maybe even, this is the broken place that we can't really wrap our head around, but that place, that that kingdom is the reality as it should be. That the brokenness of this world is actually the, the darkened picture that is. That is the vision as it is always supposed to be. And our hearts are, are ready for it and long for it. That we long for the kingdom of God. But this passage, it, it takes us aback because it's saying, well, yeah, yeah, you may long for it. Your heart may be there. But the reality is that you were not created for such a kingdom, and you aren't ready for it. Maybe you were created for it, but your sin and your brokenness and your mortality and your perishability, the effects of sin and your brokenness under the law, that they keep those gates closed. Look at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on the, uh, the immortality. So essentially, what, what Paul is saying is, yeah, you, you, want, to, you want to enter an uh, everlasting kingdom where nothing is evil and nothing is broken. But then he's saying, you know what, if that's the way it is, you're actually not invited. You can't get there unless you put on immortality, unless you put on the imperishable and equip yourself for a world that is not flesh and blood. And the unfortunate reality of that is that we have to submit to the fact that that's actually not something we're able to do. That in the world of things that God is able to do and we are able to do, uh, this is in the God category, along with other things like uh, creating an eighth color that, is there a seventh color? I don't know, another, another color, it doesn't exist yet. Uh, to, to control the winds and capture them for your own purposes, to, to speak, and for things to be created out of that speech. These are God categories. And it isn't often that we have to admit defeat and admit that we are weak and admit that we are powerless. One, one actually reality of the coronavirus is the, the humility that it brings, that no one is too rich or too strong, or too smart to get it. It's, it's a leveling playing field. And this, if anything, is a leveling playing field. That before us stands the reality of death. And that between our, our heart's longing and that reality of the kingdom of God that is being built, there stands before us this wall of death. And the only one who can get past it is the one who can clothe you in imperishability and immortality. And we have to ask, are we willing to put the longings of our heart in God's hands? Because we are never going to do it ourselves. This is an impossible task. And yet that is the task that Easter is all about. And so... Uh, when will it happen? What, what, what will happen? How will it come about? That's our next, next thing. How will we get to that kingdom? How will he build it? How will he welcome us in? How will we get over that obstacle? And we're told that it'll happen when God gives us the victory in Jesus. We have God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, and God's victory, Jesus' victory. Verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the immortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Easter is about. Easter is about the fact that as we look at this obstacle standing before us, God gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. 
He gives it to us as a gift. We do not do it. Jesus Christ does. When Jesus died on the cross, he did so because he became perishable and mortal. That he became that for us so that he might go down to the grave. He might bear our sins and take them down with him. And when he resurrects, he clothes himself in imperishability and immortality. And we recognize that Jesus Christ is the first citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that is to be built. That he alone has overcome that obstacle. Now that alone would be great because we love Jesus. We love him. We, we rejoice in him. Our whole purpose is to glorify his name and so we say, yes, we, we long for you to be alive, Jesus. But Jesus is, is never uh, miserly. He is lavish. And so he says, yes, I, I did it, and I'm bringing you with me. And Jesus doesn't just become the, the first or the only. He becomes the very power source for us that through him we receive his immortality and imperishability, that he gives us his very own victory over sin and death and the law. Now, you are never, by your flesh and blood, going to do what Jesus Christ has done, but the reality is you don't have to, that Jesus Christ has given us the victory. The next question then is how? So how did God work that victory in Jesus Christ? And we see, start to see it in verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. All right, so let's first start focus on that. The sting of death is sin. All right, so what is that saying? That's saying that... Uh, that death, it, it takes advantage and uses sin to destroy, to kill, to poison. And the word sting here, it's not, it's not the, the pain feeling. It's, it's, the, it's like the bee, the hornet, the sting. And so what this passage is essentially saying, it's saying that uh, what Jesus Christ did is, he took the hornet, he took the hornet, and he took off the stinger. And he's saying, okay, what, what, how scary is this hornet now? That we used to, we used to cower and you do the like, oh, he's going to get me. Uh, at this point, he's a big ladybug. All right. It's done. It's done. You don't need it anymore. Uh, a snake. If you take out the fangs, what does it become? It's just a big earthworm. <laughs> and it's fine. All right. You take a scorpion. You cut off its tail. Now it's a glow-in-the-dark crab. And we Marylanders, we love crabs, so we're fine with it. All right, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the death, which looms and is so scary, and it has this sting, which is sin. But what Jesus does, he takes the sin away, and now there's this thing that's powerless. Because it cannot hold us, it cannot keep us, it has no power over us. And the reality is that... that Death could only control us because of the judgment of sin. Because death would then bring about 
uh, judgment and wrath and the eternal destruction, the judgment and righteousness of God poured out upon us. But what if there is no sin to be paid for? What if there is no sin to be judged? Then, actually, death becomes uh, very innocuous. And suddenly, it becomes this pathway from mortality into immortality, from perishability to imperishability, just like it did for Jesus Christ. That the reason that death exists is because of sin. If you take the sin away, then, then death is no more. Now we say, how, how, did, how did Jesus Christ have victory over sin? And we want to say really quick, oh, oh the cross, the cross, the cross, and we're done. Uh, Paul throws in this extra step. This extra step, which I think is, is remarkable. And he doesn't take on sin directly. It's, there's one more step. It says the power of sin is the law. That the reason sin has its power over us is because the law. The law that God has given, the law that tells us what to do, the law that holds us to this standard. And what Jesus does through his death and through his resurrection is he fulfills the law. He wipes all of the, the good and the bad clean, and he gives us his perfect fulfillment of it. To the extent that Books like Galatians and Romans say that there, there is no law. What law for us? We're not under law. We're under grace. We're under the righteousness of Christ. We're not trying to, to meet the requirements of the law. We are putting faith in the one who already has. And so, Jesus, by his death, he has washed us clean from every transgression of the law, and Jesus, by his resurrection, has given us his perfect fulfillment of the law. And so when you, when you stand before God, all right, we don't have to have this like pile of sins and, and transgressions that are crushing us and weighing us down. No, when God sees us, he doesn't interact with us through the law anymore. He interacts us with us through Christ, his death and resurrection. And the relationship there is not one of judgment. The relationship is one of love and grace and joy in who we are in Jesus Christ. And when we stand before him, we stand before our Father in resurrected glory. Now when Jesus resurrected to glory, did he need to do anything else? Did he need to prove himself? No. He stood before his father in glory. He said that the job is done. I'm, I'm ready to come home. That is where we stand in Jesus Christ. That is where we stand. That is the work that he has done. That is his victory. That we take this thing that was destroying us, the law, and was empowering sin and empowering death, and Jesus rolls it all back and he says, you know what, here. I give you myself, I give you my completed victory, I give you grace, I give you my righteousness, I give you my spirit to change you, and that is all, all I require of you.
is to receive those things. And that's where we have to, we have to ask ourselves, do you feel freedom from death? From the burden of it, from the fear of it? And if we say, no, I don't, I don't feel that, then we say, okay, do you feel freedom from sin? Do you feel freedom from the, the enslaving powers of sin, from, from the judgment and guilt of sin? And if then we say, well, no, I don't, then we take it back and say, do you feel freedom from the law? Are you forgetting your freedom from the law? Because you are not under the law. You are under Jesus Christ. You are under grace. You are, you are under the Spirit who compels you out of love for what Jesus Christ has done, out of your adoration for Jesus Christ. That is what controls you. And then, as you relate to sin, you say, well, if that's where I stand, why am I feeling guilty? The law condemns me, but Jesus doesn't. And then we say, well, if there's no sin there, then why am I fearing death? What is, he's not going to judge me. All that's going to happen is immortality is going to be pushed upon me out of my, my mortality. Then I'm going to be resurrected with Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. And that's where I ask you, are you living there right here and right now? Because we say, when is this all going to happen? In one sense, it's going to happen when the trumpet sounds. But the work that Jesus Christ has done is completed. And you can stand under freedom from the law and freedom from sin and freedom from death right here and right now. And you can relate to God as one who is victorious in Jesus Christ. And who feels no weight or burden or judgment or guilt or shame because those things have been destroyed and conquered in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of Jesus. That is his work. That is Easter. And then we, we abound in that work that he has already done, and we abound in the things that, that reflect it. So we saw Jesus' kingdom, we saw uh, Jesus' victory, and finally we see Jesus' work. This final exhortation from the passage, to abound in the work of the Lord, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is such a beautiful picture because it's saying that some of the realities of that heavenly kingdom can be with you right now. And you can invest in that kingdom and, and really do things that, are, that last forever. Things that will not be in vain. And he said, what, what do you do? Abound in the work of the Lord. Abound in the work of the Lord. Which is itself beautiful because it's not, it's not your work. You know, go get to work. It's that, no, walk in the, the work that the Lord has already done and the work that the Lord is preparing you for and the work that reflects the work that Jesus has already done. Now, in a very practical, what does this mean? This means to run from the things that are labor in vain. And to labor in vain, maybe it's, it's building up the kingdom of the world. 
and advancing in the kingdoms of the world, building your resume, working for your glory, making a name for yourself. It's not your name that's going to be most important in the kingdom of God. It's going to be the name of Jesus. That that name will be the everlasting name. And, and we will recognize it when we get there and we'll say, why did I make such a big deal about myself? Look at Jesus. Or maybe, or maybe we get lost in the work that we feel we ought to do as we're enslaved to the law and still struggle to get out from under it. And we, we, we waste our time trying to keep the law in our own strength. Or we waste our time not focusing on the work of Jesus, but the work that we have. We, we work in vain, running after sin and running after life that is going to perish, that is going to be defeated, that Jesus has already been victorious over. And that's where I say, stop. Stop putting the stinger back in the bee so they can sting you. Stop running after the things that, that Jesus has already said are poison and are killing you. Find the contentment that, that the world cannot offer, that is beyond the obstacle that is on the other side of, of immortality. And then, and then, abound in the work of the Lord. Abound of the, in the work of the Lord that, that reflects the, the gospel of grace and the cross and death and resurrection. Abound in those things that you might glorify Jesus Christ because you love him and you delight in him and because you stand in awe of the fact that he has taken you, this wretched sinner, me, this wretched sinner, and perfectly washed us clean and presents us to himself in splendor and glory washed clean and has given us the victory. So go, go and, go and show people the love of Jesus Christ. Go live as one who is not afraid of death because you have found victory, who is not afraid of sin because you have victory, who is not afraid of the law because you have victory. The victory in Jesus Christ. And let's share that victory with the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you... You alone could be victorious. You alone are the victor in Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask that you would apply your victory to us more and more by the work of the Holy Spirit. Would you press the reality of our freedom from death and sin and law deeper and deeper into our hearts? Father, we long to, to know where we stand in the gospel of Jesus and to know the victory that is ours in him. Father, would you give us an ability to, to rejoice this day with true worship and true delight and true contentment and the eager expectation of seeing you face to face in all your glory in the kingdom that you have already built in the by walking in the, in the works that you're already prepared for us by receiving the victory that you've already won. Father, we long to build, build that kingdom. And so may it start in our hearts and may it flow out from there. We pray in Jesus Christ. Amen. And now this Easter morning.
hear your benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, equip you with all you need to do his will. May he equip you to do the work that Jesus Christ has already prepared for you. Happy Easter. He is risen.